Well, this morning, continue on in Philippians, so go ahead and turn there, if you will. And we are still in chapter 1. It is my privilege to let you know that at the end of the service today, we have an incredible guest speaker. So be prepared, be ready. So this morning, we're talking about All In, and, and the title is Progress. How many of you enjoy progress? How many of you are anti-progress? You're a non-progressive. You just like staying right where you are. All right? No growth policy. My wife and I were uh, pleasantly excited that in the Bay Area, they don't lop down and grade out every single hillside for houses. Uh, Unfortunately, that has kept us out of the housing market because there's only so many houses. Uh, But progress is measured in different ways with different people and and different uh, contingencies or elements in society. How many of you feel stuck in that effort of progress? I know that there have been many times where I have felt stuck. I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm accomplishing much. Much of the time I may feel like I'm just doing what I've always been doing. Right? Don't they call that midlife crisis? Right? So this morning, let me set up a little bit of where we're going. First of all, how many of you have ever used a fountain pen? Anybody out there? Raise your hand. Anybody love using a fountain pen? Raise your hand. Nobody loves it. So the unique thing about this fountain pen is I love writing with a fountain pen because I actually have to think. It's not just mindless scrolling of my hand and the application of ink on paper. I have to be very attentive to how hard I'm pressing or else you get, what happens if you press too hard with a fountain pen? You end up with a big gloop of of ink. So you have to be focused, you have to be precise when you're using an instrument like this, but if used properly, the writing that comes from something like this is so much better than just your typical ballpoint pen. But isn't the ballpoint just easier? It's just easier. My encouragement to you today is that There are some illustrations to learn from the fountain pen. What happens if, like me, you stick your fountain pen in a jar and you don't use it for two, three, four days? You pull it out and you go to write, and what happens? Nothing. You're you're like, well, my pen works. Well, I might have a cheap pen. I don't know. So this is my routine. I have to go like this. I have to unscrew this thing. And then I have to push the plunger make sure the ink comes out, then the ink flows all over my fingers, and and then I realize that I haven't used the pen in so long, it's actually completely dry, which is exactly the state of this pen right now, so I have to go down and I have to reach into my cabinet, pull out this big bottle of ink, which if it spills, it will be a toxic cleanup of 2020, right? That's a disaster, so I'm going in, I get a hazmat team, I suit up, I, I get extra towels and things, and then I, I get the, the tip in there, and I pull out the plunger. and, I, and it, it is a half-hour arduous process just so that I can write. Why would you do that? I don't know. <laughs> so Paul was not stuck. Paul was not stuck. Let me give some history and context. We're in Philippians 1, 19 through 30. We'll read it together here in a moment. 
Paul reflects to the concern of the church about his outcome. He responds not as one defeated or dried up, right? But speaks in terms of life and death and how Christ is his goal in all things. And he admonishes the church to do the same. He admonishes the church at the end of our passage today to get unstuck. And so maybe there's a message in, in there for us today. Let's, let's look this morning, and there's a thought by Dietrich Bonhoeffer this morning that I want to share with you. And I've got, I can't, um, I believe in all things, I hope in all things. Well, I'm stuck. So this morning, remember our key verse is complete my joy. Whoa. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. I don't know what's happening. And of one mind. And so now I am going to go forward. There we go. Philippians 1, 18 through 21. Let's start in verse 18. It's a continuation of last week. And as we do so, think about where we were last week with what Paul was saying that he is so concerned about the gospel message going out, whether it's from him or those who speak from a pure and authentic heart, or those who speak from selfish ambition, he says, I am pleased, I rejoice, that what is going on is the gospel is being preached. For some reason, that was on timer. My, my media person will get that fixed. So, this morning, we pick it up in verse 18, and let's continue on and look. It's a parenthetical thought, it's kind of weird, because we left 18, but 19 is the shift, and so you're using part of 18 where we start today. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. He's already just said, I rejoice in these things, and that was probably shocking to the church of Philippi. So he adds emphasis, and he repeats himself, and he says, yes, you heard me right. I'm rejoicing over that. And then we continue on here in 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, standing side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents." This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but, your, but of your salvation and that from God. 
For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now fear, or now hear that I still have. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this about the issue of suffering, and understand the context of what we're looking at is that the church at Philippi sent a messenger, Epaphroditus, with not just a message, not just uh, uh, statements of love and affection for Paul, but also money. As a matter of fact, Paul commends them because they're the only church that he established that actually sends resource for them, for, for he and his team, while captive in prison. But their concern is that Paul has been locked up for two years now. What is going to happen? They may have even anticipated that Paul's trial is soon to happen. And so they are worried, they're concerned what is going to happen. Now Paul changes his response here. His focus now is to address this concern that the church has. What is going to happen to you, Paul? You see, the church remembers what happened to Philip. They remember what happened to James. They remember what happened to Andrew. And they're concerned this may be their last communication with him. So he speaks to the idea of what it means to be delivered. They're praying for his deliverance. And I don't know if you heard it in there, but Paul speaks to that issue. The statement that I have up on the screen from Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that that is the way it is the church. I don't know what that means. Um, it never lives by its deeds, not even by its deeds of love. Rather, it lives by what it cannot see and yet believes. And here's the concluding thought. It sees affliction and believes deliverance. It sees affliction and believes deliverance. There's some words in there that are a little bit hard for us to wrestle with, but Bonhoeffer knew what it meant to have to focus on the unseen and that therefore providing hope. That speaks very much so to what Paul is dealing with as a prisoner, one who will soon face trial. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in the last few moments of his life, faced a trial. He did not live. For him to die was gain. And there are many who are martyred for the cause of Christ. In this moment, Paul will, will go before a, a, a tribunal in Rome, and he will be released this first time. Eventually, he'll be taken prisoner again in Rome, and, and then he'll be martyred. But this time, he would be released. So we look into Paul's mind in this idea of being stuck. He's stuck in prison. Are you stuck spiritually in some kind of prison? What is it that's holding you or myself captive? And so Paul helps us with how do you approach those moments? How do you deal with those moments? So let's look this morning, progress through deliverance, verses 19 through 20. All in, progress is our sermon series, progress through deliverance, verses 19 through 20. Again, he says, yes, and I will rejoice in context to his previous statement. But then he says this, directly approaching the concern of the church. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, this being the captivity, this will turn out for my what? 
my deliverance. This will turn out for my deliverance. Is it, it's just stuck on rotating. Let's just go ahead and cut it. I, I don't really understand what's going on. So um, I've got notes, thank God. It's, it's a miracle. I actually have notes. So, uh, by the way, that's a nice segue. You can pull out your note sheet and, and take down notes today. So the first point is progress through deliverance. So there's four views that commentators, that scholars have about what he's talking about in deliverance. And ultimately, the strongest argument here is that Paul believed whether or not he were to be martyred or whether he would be released, he'd be delivered either way. He understood what it meant to live for Christ, and he had a much bigger approach, even in what he's saying in encouraging the church at Philippi. Look, I get it. You're concerned. I've been locked up for two years and things are running crazy out there. He says, I'm not sweating it because the gospel is still being preached and God is in control. That is one of the first things to understand. How do you progress through deliverance? Do you have the mindset... Do you have the approach in life that God truly is in control of all things? Can you rejoice when you are stuck? Because Paul does. And the reason he's able to do that is because he was all in in his understanding of Christ. His deliverance, he says, comes from two sources. Did you catch that? One was from the prayer of the saints. And I'm sure that's not just particular to the church at Philippi. Philippi, but he's writing to them, so he's encouraging them, saying, your prayers affect me greatly, and I believe those prayers will deliver me. Secondly, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is aware and ministering to him continually, progressively, the Holy Spirit is delivering him day in, day out. Is he out of jail? Is he still stuck? In certain respects, absolutely. But what a powerful statement to actually be in jail and yet be free. And that's what Paul is saying. He is delivered. His circumstances look horrific, but he is delivered. There's some interesting language here uh, as you get into verse 20, and he says... It will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This, the language here on this, this statement by eager expectation is the idea that you're straining your neck forward Right? That, that maybe something encouraging is being said, or there's something that you have a high level of interest to, and, and maybe you just can't quite... So you're leaning in. That's a, that's a phrase we heard all week. We are so tired of hearing leaning in. All right? So please, don't ever say leaning in to my wife and I for at least a month and a half. Or, or you might get some spiritual retribution. Okay? You're like, gee, relax, pastor. No, seriously, don't. But that is what Paul's doing. That's what his language is, is that he's straining forward. That's progress, is it not? 
Progress is this picture that Paul paints of straining forward to make sure that his reputation is that of Christ. That there is no accusation other than that of being Christ-like. And through that, he will receive his deliverance. Are we straining? You want to progress through deliverance? Strain towards Christ. Strain towards Christ. Second point today, Progress through life, verses 20 through 26. Now, this is the heady stuff that many of us are fairly familiar with. He's already kind of precursored it, right? He, that, that, you know, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Here he goes. Wow, Paul's all in here, whether by life or by death. And so he gets into it and brings it, you know, he's swinging for the fences, isn't he? Paul, can't you just talk about like this week and my schedule this week? Why do, you have to, why do you have to get into life and death kind of stuff? Because there was no middle ground. There was no, there was no sitting and resting. Paul was saying we have to progress. You want to come out of deliverance? You want to progress or progress through life? Here is the secret. And so look, start in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. Now, that's a big statement. And we'll give it some feet here in in a second. And to die is what? And to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose. I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. There's a tension here for Paul. and, And he explains the tension. He says, my desire is to depart and be with who? Christ, for that's far better. Some of us are stuck with being in love with this place. Some of us are stuck and we're not straining towards heaven. The idea that Jesus might come back before I'm done would be entertaining to many. That really didn't get the traction I thought it was going to get. Wow, okay, so I'll stop being self-deprecating. Many of us have a schedule this week and there's something very important to us. And if Jesus could just come back later after that event, sometimes we think that way. Right? Ask college-age guys that are unmarried. They talk about it a lot. Right? Jesus, just come back after I get married. That would be great. But Paul says, no, I'm straining towards heaven. To die is to gain. To be with Christ is what? Far better. Right there is one way to write down how we progress through life. That we do not take too seriously this time. We do not become so in love with this place. Rather that we love and we strain towards heaven is how we can progress through life. That's what it means to be all in like Paul was. So he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. 
He expected to go to the church at Philippi again. He desired to do that. So what do we take from what Paul's saying? Every moment Paul has breath is a moment to be all in for Christ. And towards the end of what he says in this section, he's saying, I do this so that you can learn about my affinity for the Lord. So that you can progress through life. So that you learn from my example. Every moment Paul has breath is a moment to be all in for Christ. His joy is to set aside his desire for heaven and martyrdom and continue in his fruitful work. Are we all able to say that? If you and I had that choice today to be with Christ in heaven, free from all the turmoil and difficulty and things that this world challenges us with, would we give that up for the rest of the people around us so that we could minister to them, so that we could fulfill what Christ has asked of us? I'm not sure we're even having that discussion these days. I think more so the idea of fulfilling what Christ has for us, because you see that, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I desire to go and be with you. If they decide to martyr me right there, yay! Because I desire that. But it's more beneficial, it's more fruitful that I remain for you. Today it's not an issue of life and death for the church in service and fulfilling their calling of Christ. It's just getting out of bed. But a day is coming. It's coming quick in America. And I'm not sure that wouldn't be an unhealthy thing for us to have to deal with these things Paul is dealing with. Because I think it would make a lot of things clear. It would eliminate the fluff that so easily distracts us from being all in for Christ. Do we choose to remain stuck when Christ is expecting us to progress? That's a big question, is it not? How do you progress through life? Well, you have to deal with where is your focus? Where is your passion? Where is your attitude? What does your life look like? And some of us choose to remain stuck. And, and you're saying, well, pastor, what, 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 does that, what does that look like? Well, it, it looks like a dried up fountain pen. And so when, when suddenly your pastor starts speaking about some of this, and you say, okay, maybe I should get involved or something. And so you go to get involved and you feel useless. Have you ever experienced that? You feel out of your zone. You feel out of your territory. And then you're, you're, you're pounding on yourself for trying to get a, unstuck. You're pounding on yourself saying, that's not my idea of progress. The challenge is, yeah, it actually... How many of you don't like the fingernails on the chalkboard thing? Right? To write with a dry fountain pen for me is like that. It's just... <sighs> but when there's ink flowing through here and it's an effective tool, it's just beautiful. So before you try to get unstuck for Christ, get filled up with Christ. Get filled up with Christ. Go all in with Christ. That's how you progress through life. Paul could have said... For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And to strike a balance is fair. That kind of sounds like a lot of what's preached these days. 
You know, the, the idea, and, and a lot of what's written in books is that, you know, you have to take care of yourself. Paul, you know, you got to take care of yourself. Have you looked at your health lately? Have you been taking care of your emotional and mental needs, Paul? You know, are you the otter, the lion, the golden retriever? Let's do an assessment test, Paul. Right? Got some biofeedback going there in the jail? We are a society, I just read some things yesterday about how absolutely messed up our children are. I promise you, within the next three years, it will be stated that 50% of our kids suffer from mental illness. Because it's already one in five. And that's the experts that say that. And yet we are such a brilliant people that we just keep doing it to ourselves. It's the emperor's new clothes. Nobody will discuss what is tearing our families apart, our nation apart, our churches apart. We are not all in. Not for Christ. Life is given that we might fulfill what Christ calls us to. Nothing more, nothing less. Nothing more, nothing less. Progress through death. That sounds a bit crazy, right? Well, I'm, I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to have you read it and not speak to it. So let's, let's get some context here. So, uh, verses 20 through 23, let's look at it real quickly. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. Let me ask you a question. Does it sound like Paul is suicidal? No, you have to, you have to understand what Paul is actually saying. Paul has walked at such a deeper level that he, he understands Christ. As you read some of the letters to the Corinthians, it is supposed that the Lord has given him some vision of heaven. He's tasted. What a great thing that he says, I would much rather be there because I've, I've tasted it. And I'd much rather be there than here. I hope that inspires you. It inspires me. But that's building towards something. Paul uses a straw man argument here to help the church understand through his suffering the boldness he can hold through prayer and the power of the Spirit. You see, the church is worried for him. The church is worried that he's going to be martyred. And what does he send back to him? Don't worry. The Holy Spirit and your prayers are delivering me. And you know what? I, I'm good. If martyrdom is in my schedule next week, I'm good. As a matter of fact, that's even better. But I believe that the Lord has more work for me to do for you. And so therefore, I'm committed to that. I'm all in on that. And I refuse to be stuck in a sense of lament, regret, disenfranchisement with who God is, all of those things. 
Paul is ready to embrace death as an all-in focus because he knows where he is going. Paul helps us know that after death, we are all in the presence of God. You see, there are other religions that what they'll say is that when you die, you go to a temporary state of nothingness. There were even doctrines within the Orthodox Church that teaches this understanding of Abraham's bosom. Are you really with Christ? Are you with heaven because the second coming? And it gets very confusing. And, and what is my state? What can I expect? Those moments before I cease to live, what can I expect? This is some great teaching for you. And for me. When you have relatives or friends, or maybe it's going to be you tomorrow. I don't know. Not speaking prophetically. But if you're sitting talking with or encouraging or at the bedside of someone who's getting ready to go home, you can say with all assuredness from this passage, look, Paul says, I'm not depressed. I'm not upset. I'm not going to be stuck in some temporary holding tank somewhere. For me to die is gain. I will be with Christ. Amen? So get a very clear picture for the believer who is all in walking with Christ that Jesus says, you are my adopted son. To be absent from the body is to be present with whom? The Lord. And last time I checked, the Lord is where? On the throne. Okay? So get a very clear picture what happens at the time of death. Wow, I should just stop there. That's powerful stuff. For the believer, death ushers in a completely new meaning for all in. It means our race is done. You see, Paul says, my race, I don't think my race is over. He says, I would like it to be over. That would be great. That would be the best. But he says, but I think it's more fruitful that I stay in the flesh to serve you. Do you know what happens when God says your calling is finished, it's time to come home, do you know what happens at that moment? There isn't one more second, one more soul, one more effort that you can do to serve the Lord. It's done. The race is over. And there's a huge relief into that. But there's a huge warning sign. And we'll get that in about three minutes. Last point today, progress in conduct. So, verses 27 through 30, this is one of my life verses. And we just passed through a section that is a life verse for uh, a key mentor in my life, another cook that you're going to be able to hear from this morning. And so I look forward to that at the end. But my life verse is, is sitting here, starting in verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God... For it has been granted to you 
that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also, uh uh-oh. What is Paul saying to the church? You should also what? Go ahead, say it. Say it proud. That was proud? Okay. Thank you. Academy Award winning right back there from LJ. Suffer! What was that? Stella? Anybody remember that? Stella! Suffer! Right? No, that's for Paul! Yeah, anybody under the age of 40 is like, what are you talking about? It's not worth looking up. What's worth looking up and focusing on is that Paul says, hey, by the way, that suffer thing that I'm doing because I'm all in, you're called to that as well. You need to walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ. What would the church be if we all took that seriously? Are we allowing, listen to me carefully, am I allowing myself to remain stuck because I choose the world and not my calling by Christ. I choose to be put up on a shelf and dry out because I don't want to suffer. Our church today is not of one mind. It is not of one spirit. It is not following in the pathway that Paul is talking about. And I'm really not sure that we are walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's a great scene at the end of Saving Private Ryan. And the last part of the group that goes to save him, he doesn't even know these individuals. And moments before the allies come up over this bridge and chase the enemy enemy away, I think it's Sergeant Miller is Tom Hanks' character. And he's been shot and he's dying. Within minutes, it's just like Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story, within minutes of the Allies coming right over that same bridge, and death is inevitable, and he pulls in Sergeant Ryan. Do you, know, do you remember what he says to him? Make this count. Make this count. Brothers and sisters, we've been given the Gospel of Christ. We need to make it count. Because... If we are all in, we are heading somewhere. And there will be an account for what we did with the gospel. And that's where I want to finish today. He says, live your life in a manner or conduct. Some of your, I think the NIV says conduct. This is talking about how you live as a citizen. He's reminding them, and this is not going to come through with the normal English text, so I'm going to help you a little bit here, what is really being said. He's using language that you would use to remind the citizenry, practice your civil service. Act like a Roman citizen. Do the things you're supposed to be doing as a Roman citizen. Remember, Philippi was a a Roman uh, city. So he's speaking of that idea of citizenship and all the protections, all the garners, and all the responsibility that goes with it. And he's playing a little all-in game with them by saying... However much you hear that idea, how much more should you be concerned with your heavenly citizenship? And that's a good question for us to look at. Are we walking in a manner worthy of the gospel? 
Are we concerned with our dual citizenship, earth and heaven? Our manner of life should be conformed to Christ and act as citizens of heaven more so than citizens of conquered California or wherever, whatever city you live in. Here's some quick questions as we finish. When we face opposition, do we shrink back like Paul's talking about? Do we fail to show up? Would anyone know if we were a citizen of heaven? To be all in means that we need to progress in our sanctification and our holiness. That's what Paul is calling us to. So this morning when we look at this idea of Paul being all in, he takes it to the highest level of life and death circumstances. And what we can learn and what we can glean from this this morning is that that we look at one who was all in, he wasn't stuck, he was effective, God was flowing through him, he was not a dried up instrument. And he's rejoicing because of the power of prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, God will deliver me one way or the other. I'm willing more so to stay here and be fruitful for my calling for your benefit. But if I am chosen to die in the next day or week, I really look forward to that. That's a great measuring tool of where we are in our citizenship, brothers and sisters. So for you and I this morning, the race is, or the concept of being all in, is are we walking in a manner worthy of the gospel? That takes us directly to the idea of our sanctification and our holiness. Are we straining? Remember I told you we'd get back to this. Are we straining towards heaven? What would that look like? Start looking into your life and thinking, what do I need to do to become that useful tool that can write beautifully, that can be used to do beautiful, permanent, incredible things. And there it is. You see, when we're done with our race, the reality is heaven is waiting for us, which will be incredible. But here's my question. Do we live so as to walk boldly into heaven? Without hesitation, but with strained eagerness. That is your message today. Do we live so as to walk boldly into heaven without hesitation, but with strained eagerness? If we're going to do that, we can't run dry and be put up on a shelf. This morning I told you you get to hear two messages. I'm done with mine. Now you get to hear from an incredible mentor of mine, Dr. Cook, share some words of wisdom. So good to be with you. We've loved you, and you're a special son, and you're, and you're precious. Each of you, as you walk with
knowing he's going to complete what needs to be done. Amen. And with that desire, there is a commitment. So we have confidence because he's going to do it. But then the Lord wants us to make a commitment. And that commitment is in Philippians 1.20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. And with all fullness and knowledge, somehow also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And in my body, I put his to choose and mine to death. And you as a church fellowship, in the midst of a world that's gone crazy, your confidence comes in the fact that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the answer for everyone around you. And you are the vessel carrier of the freight of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as a church fellowship, and as you as pastors, I pray that God's best will be yours, and God's direction will be your guide, and God's crown will be your reward. This is my prayer. God bless you. Live for Him. Amen. When I heard, my wife walked up to me at the table the first day we got to conference, and she could barely breathe. She's often that way when she looks at me. <laughs> but on this occasion, she was able to get the words out saying, Dr. Cook is here. And so I ran out. She pointed that he was walking out of where we were eating. I ran out to meet him. I strained. Of all the people I've had privilege to know on this earth, that man is the closest example of Paul. It is a privilege. I, privilege is an anemic word for my wife and I to have had that man and his wife in our house and for him to share with us and by proxy for him to be praying and sharing for this congregation. That is a rare thing. When it talks out of Scripture, where you wrestle with life and death issues like Paul was talking about, Dr. Cook has buried more family members around the world for the cause of Christ. You cannot listen to his story about losing Jeffrey his one or two-year-old son while on the mission field with a dry eye or without a broken heart. He's been sharing that story for 40, 50 years. He's buried two wives for the cause of Christ. He's faced communist firing squads. You think of it, he has gone through it. And we're watching him as he and his wife in their late 80s drove all the way from Colorado and he's using a cane and you're just waiting for him to go down because he can barely walk. And yet he gave his time to go up to a place like Hume Lake to speak into pastors' lives. Not to mention he grew up with a pet tiger. So that's something. So... His life message, I hope you heard it, 
If you know Christ, He's begun a work in you and He will be faithful to complete it. My encouragement to you is don't be that fountain pen that's sitting and drying up. Stay filled. Because when Christ works through you, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. And that's what it means to be all in. Let me pray for us this morning. And then I have some things about what's happening here at Concord Bible Church uh, even today that I'm very excited to share with you. Father, this morning, I pray that each of us will consider where we are in our progress. And are we ready to do what Paul's talking about? Walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. Are we paying attention to our sanctification? Are we all in or we, we reserve areas of our life, God, that we say, well, I'm God over that. I'm Lord over that area. And Lord, you can have these uh, non-important areas. Father, help us to realize the foolishness of that. And help us to have the conviction to hand over every aspect of our life and walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. So that we can be like Paul. We can be like Dr. Cook and these, these heroes of the faith that say, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And to say that with great joy and boldness. Let us strain so that we walk with boldness into heaven without any hesitation. To you be all glory, Father. Amen.